from Exodus chapter 5, verse 1. Exodus chapter 5, verse 1. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord. And moreover, I will not let Israel go. Now, jump in your Bibles all the way over to chapter 7, verse 1. 5 1 begins our text this morning that we're going to be handling. Chapter 7, verse 7 ends it. So, chapter 7, verse 1. And the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh. And your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you. And your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my children, my host, my people, the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. Now look at verse 5. The Egyptians, which includes Pharaoh, shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. Moses and Aaron did so. They did just as the Lord commanded them. Now Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 years old when they spoke to Pharaoh. Let's pray. Lord, I pray this morning that you would anoint me to preach your word. Lord, I pray that you would give me giftings that only come from you and your spirit. I pray for a sacred anointing, a holy unction. And I pray that my friends listening would listen in the fear and admonition of the Lord. They would listen with faith. They would listen leaning forward in their hearts to what you're saying to them this morning from this text. You have an opinion, Lord. You speak to us. And this morning you speak to us from this text. So we say, Lord, speak. We are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. So who is the Lord, dear friends? And do you know him? Who is the Lord and do you know him? In this text, there are some key characters. Something that you should do whenever you read a text is you should stop, get a piece of paper out, preferably a blank sheet of paper, And write down characters. This is especially relevant in the Old Testament. When you're reading Old Testament narratives. Who are the characters in this story? Well, one character that most people miss in the story, and the most important one is the Lord. The Lord. Another character in the story is Pharaoh. And Pharaoh says, who is this Lord? I don't know him. Therefore, I'm not going to let Israel go. Two more characters would be Moses and Aaron. Brothers, called of God, God's agents. And in this story, we find God's people, Israel. So to speak, God's firstborn. And we're going to see in this story, as we kind of get down the road in the story, that God's firstborn is very important to God. And God's name is very important to God, not because God's egotistical, because God's God. So God being God wants us to worship the very most important thing there is. 
And here is a clue for all of us. It's not you or me. I know in your life you're the most important thing in your mind, right? We're all legends in our own minds. But in the scope of things, in truth, who is the most important one of all? God. So you know what this story is about? God establishing the fact that he's God and Pharaoh's not. But can I just help you apply it? It could also be a good way for you to remind yourself he's God and you're not. That's a good one. Also, it's to remind you he's God and your boss is not. (laughs) Or whomever else or whatever else in your life right now is really, really tempting you to anxiety, anger, fear, despair, depression, whatever. Okay? So the story is about, is God the Lord? Is God the Lord? Is God the Lord? Pharaoh says, no, he's not. I don't know him. I'm not letting you go. Now, something that's exciting, you can be thinking about this between now and when we get to it. The challenge is on. And at one point, God's going to say, you let Israel, my firstborn, go, or I will come and kill your firstborn. He's not only the Lord, he's holy, okay? <laughs> there ends the problem. How do we relate to this God? And we all know what ended up happening, right? Israel left, and the firstborn of Egypt died. Why? Because God's the Lord. Because God's the Lord. And, you know, here's one more thing. We know that Israel is a picture here for us of God's people and we know that ultimately now this part doesn't make any sense to me guys but ultimately if you look at Egypt that's a great picture of the world Pharaoh great picture of Satan Israel great picture of God's people ultimately you and I were stuck in Egypt slaves to Pharaoh enslaved by our sin and you know how God delivered us not by killing our firstborn Not by killing Pharaoh's firstborn, but by killing his firstborn, Jesus Christ. So in the midst of all this story, and we're going to read it, oh, please remain fixed on the most important character, the Lord, and his revelation to you of freedom in Jesus Christ, who gave his life, the only begotten Son of God, so that you might go free from sin and slavery, so that you might be delivered ultimately from the wrath of a holy God. Okay? So as we study this story, you keep that in mind. Let's look at the story. Question is, who is the Lord, and do you know him? Who asked that question? Point one, Pharaoh asked that question. Pharaoh asked the question right there in chapter 5, first couple of verses, who is this Lord? I don't know him. Now, I want you to see a theme, a thread that runs throughout this narrative. And here's the thread. God will establish his name, who he is. He's going to establish it to Pharaoh. He's going to establish it to the Egyptians. He's going to establish it to Moses and Aaron. He's going to establish it to Israel. Ultimately, today, he's going to establish it to you and me. He's going to do it by delivering his people out of Egypt. That's the whole thing here. The deliverance of Israel out of Egypt was so that the Lord's name would be proclaimed and glorified. I am the Lord. So, he uses his people. Who does he use? He uses Moses and Aaron. And God tests Moses' faith. God tests Moses' faith. How does he test Moses' faith? 
He tests Moses' faith concerning who he is, God is. No time to go there, but earlier we read that God revealed himself to Moses as the I am. I am. This is this term, Yahweh. If you have a Bible that has capitalized the Lord, that's Yahweh. I am. So God says to Moses earlier, you go tell the most powerful man in the world to let two million slaves go free. Can you imagine how much money two million slaves are worth? Can you imagine how many work projects Pharaoh needed to get done in Egypt? You say, what? You wanted me to do what? And who said to do it? The Lord. I don't know the Lord. They're not going. So Moses had faith in God. Moses believed God. He went to the leaders of Israel at the end of chapter 4. He says, guys, here's the plan. 400 years of bondage. Bad guy Pharaoh. Bad people Egypt. We're going to get set free. Yay! Oh, the Lord remembered us. Let's worship. Chapter 5, Moses goes, Pharaoh, let him go. And Pharaoh, you know what he says? No time to read the whole chapter. He says, not only no, but I am going to require them the same amount of bricks and I'm no longer going to give them the straw. So can you imagine if you're in construction? I want you to build the same number of houses, but no materials for you. You've got to go out and find your own materials. But if you don't build, have the same number of bricks, I'm going to beat you. And he began beating them. And, it's, and at one point, Moses goes, Oh, God, what, what have you done? In fact, let's look at it. Let's look at it. Look at chapter 5. Look at verse 18. Pharaoh's slave masters say to Israel, Go now and work. No straw will be given you, but you must still deliver the same number of bricks. The foreman of the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble. Yeah. When they said, You shall by no means reduce your number of bricks, your daily task each day, they met Moses and Aaron, who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh, and they said, Okay, so now Israel, two million of them, represented by their leaders, their union leaders, okay? Two million of them meet Moses and Aaron as they come out and says, Great, guys. Really glad you came to deliver us. Remember, this is the same people that at the end of chapter 4 were worshiping God, saying, yes, God's going to deliver us. Yeehaw, we're getting out of here. Pack your bags. Those same people said the following to Moses and Aaron. Verse 20. They met Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh, and they said to them, the Lord look on you and judge, because you have made a a stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants and have put a, a sword in their hand to kill us. Uh-oh. Looks like it's faith testing time. And it looks like Israel just failed. <laughs> and then Moses, verse 22, what does he say? He turns to the Lord and says, Oh, Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Ooh. Hmm. Why did you ever send me? Have you ever said that to the Lord? Why am I here? Why did you send me? Why this? Why now? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to his people, and you have not delivered your people at all. So basically, Moses is wagging his finger in the Lord's face. You sent me here, I spoke your words, and it's not happening. Instead of being delivered, we're under worse bondage. All right, so two things I want you to write down here. I want you to write down this scripture. James 1, 2 through 4. No time to go there. James 1, 2 through 4. What that scripture basically said is, now write this down. God will test my faith. 
Write this down. God will test my faith to mature my faith. God will test my faith to mature my faith. God will test my faith to mature my my faith. This is what Moses and Israel forgot. This is God's testing. This is God's proving. This is God's working in them. Now, my question to you this morning is this. What do you do when things do not turn out as you expected? (laughs) I'll never forget this. This was funny. Uh, I used to be part of a ministry in Dallas, Texas called Christ for the Nations and loved those guys dearly, had a change in theology and so left there. And, um, but one of the things that we were, we were just anointed in was evangelism and street evangelism in Dallas, Texas. And uh, one of the, probably the loudest, most aggressive preachers. And I love this guy, okay? I think he had a lot of faith. I also think he had a lot of promotion and just fleshly zeal, you know? like I didn't, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so I'll never forget these. Bless God, we're going to go walk on the nations. We're going to go preach the gospel. You know, I said, yeah, let's go. We go on. And so, you know, he says, let's go preach the gospel. And so we're downtown Dallas, a bunch of drunks everywhere, you know, and this one drunk gets up and he starts, you know, you know, so he's just, you guys are a bunch of idiots. And, all right. and so, you know, this guy says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rebuke the devil. He says, and he runs up to the guy and goes, I rebuke. And right when he did that, the drunk guy thought he was going to hit him. The Drunk guy just cold cocked him. Man. Boom! He just went back. I mean, he was out. I rebuked you. He was gone, you know. So, so what do we do when in the name of the Lord we think God's going to deliver us and we end up flat on our back cold cocked, okay? Have you ever had that happen? You know, I'm, I'm going to commit, I'm going to commit my family to the Lord. And everybody gets sick for the next month, you know. I am going to give, I'm going to give to that fund Al talked about for the pastor's college. And the economy goes south. And they just told you they're going to lay off half the people in your office. And they told you first. <laughs> and gave you the, the, uh, the website address of monster.com, okay? <laughs> or, or, or everything's going fine in your neighborhood and you become a Christian and you just put a, a, little, like a little harmless like cross and Jesus symbol and suddenly no one will talk to you. God's going to deliver us! Come on, honey! You know, and then all of a sudden it's more bricks, no straw. Do you point your finger at God and say, God, what are you doing? You haven't delivered me. Well, of course you do, and so do I. Because what's at stake here? See, you've got to understand what's at stake. Is it all about you or is it about him and his name? Because see, you know what they forgot? Is earlier in chapter 3 when he gave Moses the instructions, he says, Moses, I'm going to harden his heart. So what part of I'm going to harden his heart do you not understand? Do you think hardening his heart means when you say, let my people go, he's going to say, sure. A hard heart means let my people go, and he's going to say no. But why did God do it? Because his number one priority isn't your comfort and happiness. It's his holiness. Now, ouch. I understand. That's, that is a huge owie. I believe that. Okay, that is an owie, 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 right? One of my kids, whenever we used to discipline them, they always used to go, owie, 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 owie. You know, so that's an owie, okay? That is an owie. There are owies that go on right there. But, oh, friend, if you don't learn that owie now, you are going to become an embittered, fake Christian. Because every time everything doesn't go exactly the way you want it and the way you expect God to deliver you, you're going to point your finger in God's face and accuse him. 
you're going to have a man-centered Christianity, which is not Christianity. It's some religion you've made up. Versus a God-centered, Christ-centered Christianity, which is about his glory. It's about his holiness, and it's about your holiness. God was maturing Moses' faith and Israel's faith. By the way, let me just pause for a moment. When, were, when was this account written? Do you remember? Was it written right when it happened? No, it was not. It was written when Israel had already been delivered from Pharaoh. They had seen that miracle. It was written when Israel had already been walked through a sea and then Egypt was wiped out. It was written when Israel was in a desert having already complained against God and having to wander for 40 years. It was probably written as they were getting ready to go into the promised land. Now, we don't have exact dates, but probably some 40 years after this. Why do you think God had Moses write this? To remind and preach to Israel, have faith. Remember when you guys complained back then? And you know what I did? I ended up killing everybody and delivering you, though it got worse before it got better. And remember about the Red Sea? Now you're about to go into the promised land to kill a bunch of giants and you have basically spears and rocks and clubs. You know, they've got multiple rocket launchers and tanks, metaphorically speaking, okay? I mean, it was like an unfair contest, you know? Kind of like the University of Miami against Florida in football. You know, it's an unfair contest. Where did that come from? So, sorry, where did it come from? My heart. That's <laughs> good, <laughs> That evil, wicked heart. Okay, it's an unfair contest. David and Goliath. So he's writing to a people who he's, he's delivering out of the world into the promised land to say, have faith. I am the Lord. And he's writing it to us today, 3,400 years later, because we have our Egypts that we're being delivered out of, aren't we? And our slavery to sin. And we have our promised lands that he's promised us for our families and our kids and our churches and, and the glory that we want to see of God in our lives. And he's saying, have faith. I know there's a Pharaoh out there. I know there's a problem out there. But have faith. I mean, I see many of you that have faith. I'm look, looking at Jeannie. Have faith. God's going to reach out to many of these young women and, and, and their partners that they won't have abortions, but rather they'll, they'll, they'll honor God. It's a heartbeat of Miami. You know, we need lots of money. There's a banquet coming up. Have faith. Have faith. Have faith. Right? And, I, and there's, I, could, I could stop and talk about each one of you where you all need to have faith. Have faith that God deliver you from bondages to sin and fear. So many of the single moms. Have faith. God's going to help you raise that little boy. Those girls. Have faith. Okay? So it speaks to me today. It spoke to Israel in the wilderness when Moses wrote it. Okay, God is the Lord. He's Yahweh. So that's the deal. All right. So what does God do? Point two. What does God do when Moses says, oh, God. Now, the good thing Moses did is he ran to God. We see that in 522. He ran right to God. See that? He says, oh, Lord, why have you done this? He starts to pray. In our home group a couple of weeks ago, we had a great conversation. Can you complain to God? Well, of course you can Can you have unbelief? No, you can't. Jesus never played with unbelief. He didn't say, oh, poor guys. There was unbelief. He would deal with it. So what does God do when we start complaining and unbelief? Does he put our arms around us? Did he put his arm around Moses and said, oh, Moses, cheer up, buddy. Cheer up, old pal. 
Or did he go, which would be more my tactic, get a grip, you wimp! (laughs) Uh, No. Did he say to him, don't worry, it'll be okay, I I promise? No. Let's see what he did. Let's see what he did. Let's look at chapter 6, verse 1. What is the remedy? And by the way, Miguel, thank you for giving us the remedy in worship. What is the remedy when fear and unbelief and complaining just comes into us when God doesn't act the way we expected him to act? You know what the the remedy is? Look at God. God's remedy was to reveal himself to Moses. Chapter 6, verse 1. But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. You'll see what I'm going to do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand, he will send them out. And with a strong hand, he will drive them out of his land. God spoke to Moses and said to him, here we go, you ready? I am the Lord. It's burning bush time, Moses. Get your eyes off your, your circumstances, Moses. Get your eyes off your circumstances, Al. Look at God. I am the Lord. I am the Lord. Moses isn't the Lord. By the way, back then, he was worshipped as a god. I'm the Lord. It may look like he has all the power, but I'm the Lord. I'm the Lord. Now look, he invokes verse 3, covenantal language. This is good covenant language. This is, this is promise language. Okay, So I am the Lord includes I'm the God who keeps my promise. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. God Almighty, El Shaddai. God Almighty. But, now listen, this is cool. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. Oh, so there is a fuller revelation of who God is here. Yes, he's God Almighty. But what did he tell Moses at the burning bush? He didn't say, tell him God Almighty sent you. What did he say? Tell him, I am sent you. Yahweh, the Lord. And that's what he says here. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. And that's the Lord is Yahweh. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. Wow. And I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people and I will be your God and you shall know that I am the Lord your God. I'm going to deliver Israel so that Pharaoh knows that I'm the Lord and so that you know that I'm the Lord. The issue isn't your deliverance because if it was, why did they spend 400 years in bondage? How many generations died? The issue is, is he the Lord? which is the issue in your life today. Is he the Lord? You see, he proves that he's the Lord when he delivers you from the bondage of sin and hell and the wrath that you so richly deserve. And as he does that, what it screams to the world is, I am the Lord. A week from today, March the 2nd, we're having a baptism at 3.30 at the George's home. They have a lake there behind their home. And we're going to have each person that goes into the waters of baptism read their testimony. And you know what they're shouting when they read that testimony? God's the Lord. I'm not the Lord. He's the Lord. So I want you to look here at how God reveals himself to Moses. So men, we have the first quote, El Shaddai. All right. Is it there? It is there. 
Man, that's nice. Nice job. El Shaddai, God Almighty. The references to it, you can look and don't do it now. Genesis 17.1, when God speaks to Moses, also Exodus 6.3, right here, is predominantly the God who is sufficient for his people's needs, for keeping his promises. When they are at their weakness, he is at his most potent. And leave it up here in case folks want to just jot down a few key terms. You may not get the whole thing. But guys, El Shaddai, what, what God says to Moses says, look, I'm revealing myself as the God who is sufficient for a man who has failed just now and accused me. I am revealing myself as sufficient for a people who are complaining against the leaders because they don't have faith in God. I am sufficient for the man that is weak in self-control. I am sufficient for a people who are slaves to get out of bondage to a nation that's the most powerful nation in the world. I'm going to show you that, but I'm telling you now, believe me. And he's sufficient for you. He's sufficient for your budget that doesn't add up at the end of the month. He's sufficient for your desire to overcome a sin that is in your heart and your mind perhaps no one knows about. He's sufficient. He's sufficient to help you parent your children. He's sufficient to help you with the problems at work. He's sufficient. God reveals himself for who he is. And then he calls you to worship him. Not to worship yourself, but to worship him. Okay? All right. You're not going to be able to write down this next one, okay? I'm warning you right now. Just read it and enjoy it. And if you want it, email me and I'll I'll send it to you via email. The next name he reveals himself as, and this is the one that is new here in Exodus, is Yahweh. Okay, so we get the next quote up there, Yahweh. The Hebrew divine name, Yahweh. Okay? You can read with me as I read here from my notes. You can read up on the overheads is closely related to the phrase in verse 14, which may be translated in a variety of ways. I am who I am. I will be who I will be. I will be what I was. I am. (laughs) Okay? I mean, it's like, what is I am that I am? It's he is. Always has been. Always will be. He's the divine, active, ever-present now. See, yeah, it just blows our minds. Because you definitely are not now. You weren't even back then. And you never will be. But he is. You encouraged it? All right. An abbreviated form of this phrase comes in the statement, I am has sent me to you. Unlike previous names, Yahweh does not limit God's nature to any particular characteristic. He is what he is. Furthermore, his nature does not change. He is the God worshipped by earlier generations. Certainly, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Thank God for that. And the generations yet to come. Yes, that's us. This is my name forever. The name by which I am to be remembered from generation to generation. You can take that quote off now. This is why, because of this truth, I can reach back and touch Moses. Because the ever-present I am who was perfectly present with him, actively present at that moment, is with me now. Same God. Same moment. God transcends history. So, buddy, relax. You're going to be okay. I am's with you. Right? Some of us are a little harder than others to get that message. You know, I have trouble relaxing in McDonald's when I'm waiting in the drive-thru, you know? <laughs> but I am. Now, 
<laughs> yeah, the Burger King, there you go. But the second quote here, I think the second quote is, is helpful as well. So go ahead and put that up. It starts with the question why. Beautiful. All right, let me read this through. Because Moses did ask why, all right? And then out of that question is when God revealed himself as Yahweh. The question why arises, oh, this one's good. In fact, leave that on just a moment. Yeah, leave that on right there because that's a good one. The question why arises when our ideas of what God should do are baffled by what he actually does. Oh, let that one sink in, my dear friend. (laughs) Hey, God, you're missing a great opportunity to glorify yourself right now, you know. I'll never forget when we first started the church 11 years ago. You know, I'm thinking, hey, we're going to be at like 500 in about five days, you know, and we'll... uh, We'll be, you know, having a pastor's college here locally in about two years. And, uh, you know, right? Okay. Legends in our own mind, right, Tim? So I remember one day I called up Danny Jones, who oversees the church. And I said, Danny, Danny, I, I mean, I believe like we're preaching the gospel. People's lives are changing. Some of you were already in the church, and your lives are changing. I said, it's such great stuff. Doesn't God know he'll get much greater glory if more people come? Silence. Danny's great. Silence. And he goes, um, Al, don't you think God knows how to bring glory to his name? Yeah, I guess he does. I guess he does. I mean, Danny's the same guy that when I first got here and, and I said, hey, Danny, I, you know, I went ahead and got a cell phone. And, and Danny says, who's going to call you? <laughs> there was like one person in the church. And then the, the best one from Danny, I, I know it's a rabbit trail, bro, but it's been a tough week, so I'm just going to enjoy this. All right. The best one was when, when, when Danny and I were talking about some character deficiencies in my life, you know, and, and he said, yeah, you know, I was talking to Brent about it because Brent kind of helps oversee the Southeast and Danny, Florida. And, and I said, Brent, what, what's Brent going to think of me? And, and pause, he goes, Al, actually, we, we don't think about you as much as you think we think about you. <laughs> I went, I went, oh. So what, 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 what was so good about all those is what it, it busted me, right? Who's the center of my universe? Me. <laughs> and you know what this is? God's saying, excuse me, Al, I'd like to displace you from the center, put you where you belong, and there's God. <laughs> and he does have purposes bigger than just what you want right now. And so this is so helpful. See, the question why arises when your idea of what the Lord should do is baffled by what he actually does. Can you embrace him as the great I am when he doesn't move as quickly or in the direction you think he should be moving? Can you? See, that's the point of lordship, isn't it? If God's your divine, you know, bellhop, that just answers your every whim, that's not a biblical God. But if he's sovereign, well, let's keep reading. Let's keep reading the quote. As in the case of Moses, closer attention to the word of God would often, if not always, provide a corrective. What Moses failed to understand is that God had said, okay, God had said, I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart. So though God wanted Pharaoh to immediately release Israel when he said, let my people go, he forgot God's word. God said, I'm going to harden his heart, uh, Moses. God, he just forgot it. How many times do we forget God's word? Can I tell you that James 1, 2 through 4 is a great word here not to forget? Because the Bible says, I'm going to mature your faith 
through suffering. Oh, and this is, this is from the Lord to you, because I wasn't even going to share this one. But this one is, I'm really sensing the, the Holy Spirit leading me to, to read this, this one. Write down First Peter 2. What am I trying to do? I, I'm trying to get us to pay closer attention to the Word of God when we are disappointed, discouraged, baffled, because God did not perform the way we thought he was supposed to perform. God was late. God missed an opportunity to get glory for his own name. So, whatever, however you want to fill it in, okay? All right, but listen to this one. This one relates to suffering. Oh, this is a good one. This is for someone. This is for a lot of you. First Peter 2. At the end of verse 20, okay? So the second half of verse 20, 1 Peter 2. But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. And now look at verse 21. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. Did you know that as Christians were called to suffer? Oh, that's not biblical, Al. You've missed it, man. Don't you, don't you understand the new covenant? We're the king's kids, man. It's just all prosperity and good times. You just must not have faith. No, I have faith. I have faith to suffer because Jesus said, I've called you to that. He said, if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. If the world's not persecuting you and you come and it's a great old time, you ought to ask yourself, there's something wrong here. Either I'm not letting them know that I'm a Christian you know, I'm, not, I'm not saying just be an obnoxious idiot and, you know, yeah, I mean, you deserve it at that point. But I'm talking about if you're kind and generous and you're not just being, you know, obnoxious and you suffer, that's what God's called you to. That's for some of you. That's for some of you. All right. Where are we in this quote? We just finished a corrective because Moses forgot the word. Now, keep reading here. Moses's dismay arose from his belief that the Lord is both sovereign, but also Yahweh, your name, the Lord. Another uh, commentator named Moberly comments, quote, if the name Yahweh is meant to indicate God's dynamic presence, which it is, I am, and always will be, it surely ought to have made all the difference in facing Pharaoh. So in other words, Moses is saying, hey, since you're the great I am, Yahweh, when I went and talked to Pharaoh, you should have been there and scared Pharaoh. Okay, Moses, I see God standing behind you. I'll release him. So where were you, God? That's what Moses is saying. Where were you, God? Continuing to read. Instead, just when things start to get difficult, Yahweh makes no difference. He appears to be absent. That's what Moses is thinking. No wonder Moses was confused. Although he need not have been, for the name Yahweh, I am who I am, implies, quote, now this is the part we don't like, okay? Children, you can relate to this, right? Because your parents sometimes act like Yahweh in your, in your world, right? I am. Why do I have to do that? I am said it. Just do it. <laughs> well, it's wrong when we do that. It's wrong when we do that, okay? Listen, listen. But it's not wrong with, when God does it. He's the only one that can do it. That's why it's so wicked when we do it. Do, did you catch that? I can't tell you what to do because I think it's right. God can because he's perfect. That's where confusing ourselves with God leads to all kinds of bad things. So, where am I? <laughs> no wonder. Let's start with that. No wonder. 
No wonder Moses was confused. Although he need not have been, for the name Yahweh, I am who I am, implies, quote, it is for me to decide when and how I will be actively present. Not you, Moses. Not you, Al. It's for me, God speaking. Are you, can you be okay with that? Well, you can if you've seen the revelation of who he is. And finishing the quote, we cannot dictate to sovereignty or predict the ways of eternal wisdom. God's name speaks of his presence, but we often have to face what seems to be his absence. But God promises to redeem his people through his commission agents. That's the next line in the notes. Though he looks to be absent, he's not absent. He is present the way he wants to be present. He is allowing happen to happen because he wants it to happen. Because in the final analysis, it's his name that's going to be glorified. And Pharaoh's heart's going to be hardened. And you're going to suffer. But you're promised an eternity. An eternity of joy with him. Just like Israel was promised the land. You're going to suffer now, but I've got a land for you. Christian, you're going to suffer now, but I've got a land for you. Don't live for now. Live for the land. Live for me. Bow your knee and worship. Bow your knee and worship. And the reason he can say that is because God promises to redeem his people. Look what it says there in chapter 6. We already read it, but read it again. Catch it. Don't miss it. This is the gospel. You want to know where the gospel is in the Old Testament? Here it is. Verse 2 of chapter 6. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, not by my name, but by my name, the Lord. I did not make myself known to him. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard of the the groaning of my people Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Now, when you see that I have remembered my covenant, don't just think of the covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, because God lives in the divine now, in the active present now. Therefore, for God, when he says, I think of the covenant with Abraham, he is simultaneously, and and because God is one, and God the Son, the second person of the Trinity is there, he is thinking of his covenant in Christ. Where do you find that, Al? Good question. Keep your finger here. And let your fingers do the walking through the Bible to Galatians 3. In fact, you can write Galatians 3 next to that if you'd like, that little passage we just read. But let's go to Galatians 3. Jot jot it down in your notes under God promises to redeem his people through his commission agents. Galatians 3. And let's look at verse 13 and 14. Christ redeemed us. Galatians 3, 13 and 14. Christ redeemed us. That's that same word redeemed that is used here when it talks about I will redeem you out of with my outstretched arms. In, in Exodus 6, 6, that word redeemed is the same word. Obviously different original language, Greek and Galatians, Hebrew and Exodus, but the same concept. And when he talks about covenant, this is what he's thinking about. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of whom? Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive what? The promised spirit through faith. And then go down to Galatians 4, 4. Galatians 4, 4. 
Oh, this is good. God's in the eternal, ever-present now. In 1400 BC, he has Moses write these words, referring back to Abraham, who probably lived in about 2000 BC. uh, The covenant with Abraham. But as God is speaking these things to Moses, and he's writing them in 1400 BC, he is thinking of Galatians 4.4. What does it say? But when the fullness of what? Time. You and I live in time. God doesn't. (laughs) Yeah, I don't understand it either, but it's true. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to what? Redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive the adoption as sons. Folks, listen to me. When God says to the children of Israel, I love you, though you've complained against me, you're ready to kill Moses and Aaron, I'm going to redeem you out of Egypt so that Pharaoh will know, so that you will know, so that the universe will know, so that every devil and every angel on the earth, above the earth, under the earth will know, I am the Lord, I am Yahweh, I am El Shaddai. I am the redeeming, covenant-keeping God. The covenant I began with Abraham, the blessing that Abraham, I said he would be to the nations, is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is the ultimate blessing and redeemer from the ultimate Pharaoh, Satan, and the ultimate Egypt, this world, and to the ultimate promised land, heaven. Man, if that doesn't cook your goose, I don't know what will. Like, just, just let that thrill you. Even if you get fired tomorrow, okay? I hope you don't. But if you do, just walk out going, wow! Just like that, wow! They'll think you're crazy. All right, we're going to transition. Third point, God answers Pharaoh. What does he answer Pharaoh? We already read it. Chapter 7. I'll show you who the Lord is. Right? What does it say there? I, verse 4, 7, 4, Pharaoh will not listen to you, then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my host, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. You there? Exodus 7, 7. Excuse me, 7, 4. Okay. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. Hey, let's celebrate together right now the fulfillment of that today. You know what that is? Holy Communion. Because in Holy Communion, and yes, ushers, you can start moving towards your post. In Holy Communion is where God stretched out his great hand and did acts of great judgment, but instead of judging you, he judged Jesus, and he cursed Jesus, and he killed Jesus. And he poured his wrath out on Jesus so that he could deliver you out of Pharaoh and Egypt, out of Satan and the world's clutches, so that he could help all of us to fulfill his promises. Not so that our life would be better. It is better. That's not the primary focus. So that his name would be glorified. What's the name above all names? Jesus. What's the ultimate revelation of God? Jesus. Isn't that good? Well, let's celebrate it together. Ushers, would you please now prepare? Worship team, would you please come up? And uh, while they're doing this, I pray that this passage has stirred your soul. I pray that you are filled with faith. And to help you with that faith, 
I'm going to read a few more scriptures. So stay with me here. I want us to look at some New Testament fulfillment of this Old Testament truth that's really an eternal truth that God redeems us in Christ out of the world, out of Satan's clutches, out of bondage to sin, into his kingdom and ultimately into heaven. So to that end, I want you, if you have your Bibles, turn to Romans 5, 6. Ushers, as soon as you're ready, you can come on down and wait for me here down front. Romans 5, 6. We're going to begin there. What we find in Romans 5, 6, dear friends, is the truth that God is the great I am who has mercy on whom he has mercy. We're going we're to look at that in Exodus as well. When we get to Exodus 33, 19, it talks about this God who has mercy on whom he will have mercy. It's actually found in Romans 9 as well. But in Romans 5, this mercy is something you and I partake of. It's what we're going about to celebrate right now in the, in, the, in the table here in Holy Communion. And God in his covenant mercies reveals himself to us. He justifies us and he redeems us in Christ. We just finished reading about the redemption in Christ in Galatians. And so I want to read to you Romans 5 verses 6 to 11 to, to just incite your faith. And, and encourage you as you receive communion. Because I never want to receive communion in sort of a rote, religious way. I want to receive cum- communion with faith. Because the truth it represents is so important. Okay? So Romans 5, 6. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. That's what we're celebrating here. His body, his blood. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, when we were like Moses, I'm now departing from scripture, when we were like Israel saying, why have you killed us? Why have you put a sword in Egypt's hand to kill us? When we were like Moses saying, why have you done evil to the people? While we were his enemies accusing him, mocking him, Christ died for us. That's unfathomable. Since therefore, we have now been justified by his blood. Much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Hey, your biggest problem isn't Pharaoh, it's the wrath of God. You've been saved from that. That's your biggest need. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Hey friends, much more now that we're reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom now we have received reconciliation.